about that cigar. A little sad saying that by myself. Matt is not feeling well this evening, and so I am going to be running the show solo. We'll see how this train wreck goes. I am grateful for everybody who is watching watching and listening to episode number 86 of How About That Cigar, live from the Drew Estate Studios. Um, please don't forget about the audio podcast, and uh, you can find our audio podcast on all the podcast platforms. Be sure to subscribe Give thumbs up, stars, high fives, likes, laughs, sad, whatever you feel like emoting uh, for our videos. We we do appreciate you watching and listening very much. Um, and from the Drew, Start, uh, Drew Estate uh, studio, I want to talk about the new Drew Estate. Um, see, Matt usually does all this. And he's he's just kind of in a flow, and he knows where everything is. Um, you're gonna have to just uh, bear with me a little bit. I'm gonna read this. Uh, Drew Estate announces today that it is now shipping both Undercrown Shady Twenty and Undercrown Dojo Dogma Maduro to Drew Diplomat retailers nationwide. Both the Undercrown Shady Twenty and Dojo Dogma Maduro share a powerhouse blend that is similar to the Undercrown Corona Viva. Both cigars feature a toothy Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper, spicy Connecticut stock cut Habano binder, and showcase the highest quality Nicaraguan and Brazilian fillers. The Shady 20 is a 5x50 box press Bellicoso that is well-aged and packs a punch while remaining smooth and sophisticated during the entire smoke. And the Dojo Dogma Maduro is unique within the core Vitolas of Undercrown Maduro as a 6x56 box-pressed Toro that is packaged in a stunning 10-count box that also signifies that the cigars are in limited edition release for 2020. For more info, please visit DrewEstate.com. Well, you guys, we had a great weekend of football. Um, The Vikings... (laughs) It's a funny story. I really wish Matt was here for this one because... My Minnesota Vikings, uh, they tried to throw it away a few times, and I and I stuck with them to just about the end. And uh, the opposing team, the Carolina Panthers, punt the ball to the Vikings. The punt returner muffs the kick. Carolina recovers the ball. I turn off my TV because I am just like, we're done. This is it. Game is over. And Matt texted me few minutes later and he's like what a crazy game and i was like yeah i turned it off at the punt he's like you might want to turn it back on and uh long story short we did end up coming back and um beating them um as they missed a uh a field goal as the time expired so uh victory for the vikings what that means in the in the grand scheme of things not much I'll be honest. I mean, it's fun to have your team win, but when you know your team isn't going to go places in the playoffs, it's, you know, it's whatever. Uh, And then I came over later that evening to watch the Packers with Matt and watch them take care of Risty's Bears quite handily, I might add. It was was pretty rough for Chicago. Um, Packers got it done. Usually I don't root for the Packers, but it was against the Bears, another division team. And uh, so, rooted for the Packers. What do you think of that, Vikings fans? Suck it. (laughs) All right. Now, 
I'm not going to delay any longer because we have got a, a super fun guest. This guest uh, and I have been getting to know each other over the last uh, couple months, and it's been an absolute blast and an honor, and I'm excited to have him on the show. Um, so our guest spot is brought to you by Corona Cigar Company. Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com is the internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers you the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You will also find a unique and limited cigars containing Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz believed it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company and coronacigar.com, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing the special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Lake Mary, and also the Davidoff of Geneva Lounge in Tampa. For more info on all of it, please visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. So without further ado, well, our guest has left the studio. <laughs> Maybe I freaked him out a little bit. So I'm just going to fill a little bit of air while we wait for um, our special guest to come back into the studio. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that um, he's not having any technical difficulties um, or anything. So I'm going to let you know what I'm smoking right now. We have got a um, El Rey de Mundo Habana that I am smoking. Oh, and here is John. Welcome back. And uh, welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I, I got a little nervous there for a second. I was like, oh, I must have said something. Or hey, You got nervous when my arsehole's going 20p, 50p? <laughs> All I'm, right. like connected, I'm connected via the phone now, so I think we're going all right. The Wi-Fi is shocking around here, so um, but I think we're good now. I think we're all right. All right. And uh, if anybody saw my post, my shared post, you might want to turn on your subtitles. <laughs> this guy's he's uh, he's a fun one to listen to. I'm speaking slowly for you all tonight. <laughs> no. All right, John, tell us what are you smoking and drinking with us? So I'm smoking our own tea. I'm smoking. I'm drinking our own tea, and um, which is a pure peppermint uh, tea from the Tea Keepers. And then I am smoking from Sinistro. It's a Dominican. Uh, where are we? Can you see that? All right. Oh yeah. Plomo from Sinistro. Yeah, Lancero. Mm-hmm. Starting off with the, the manly vitola. You know, and, and I want to talk about this because uh, people who watch and listen to the show will know that I am a Lancero whore. I absolutely love Lanceros because that uh, that that outer leaf gives you more leaf per filler than any other blend. Mm. And that flavor just comes through so much more in a Lancero. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, so forget about the Vitola thinking that it's, you know, some prissy thing and it's not masculine and shouldn't be worried about that anyway, but that's for another show. 
Uh, <laughs> and Saros are tasty little bastards, and you oh. should really get on the ba- bandwagon. Okay, so as I said, I'm smoking an El Rey del Mundo Habana, and I am drinking oolong tea. We're going to be doing uh, a couple different uh, tea things here tonight as well, because not only does John do cigars, he is also in teas. And uh, we're going to be talking about cigars, teas, sobriety, um, all things Ireland and UK. And uh, in a fun show, we're going to wrap up into a pretty little bow. Uh, (laughs) Anybody watching? He gets easily offended. (laughs) anybody who is watching uh please feel free to leave your questions and comments and i will be sure to uh get to them as much as i can uh matt ty we do wish you a uh quick recovery brother um wish you were here for this one so now i get to feel what it's like to run solo all right so john if you would, please just give us a little bit of a origin story of cigars for you and, uh, you know, maybe your first cigar and how it evolved to where you are today. Okay. First cigar was uh, Romeo and Julieta. Uh, it was uh, number three. Um, I think it was given it by a, a friend. I, I don't know even know where it came from. And at the time, I used to smoke cigarettes, and I remember just thinking, you know, this is just so much more interesting. And that was maybe 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And from then, it just, uh, I think, you know, it was just a a slow love affair where, you know, I would try different cigars. And it was mostly because of obviously here in the UK, it's really hard to get anything else other than Cuban. Obviously, it's got better now, and and you're more... uh, more sort of new world cigars are accessible, but still nowhere near what you can get obviously over in the States. So yeah, so it just started off with me uh, trying different cigars, um, different restaurants that I used to run. Uh, we uh, we always stocked different cigars. And then when I opened my own restaurant, we had a human door, which was uh, nearly 100% Cuban. Um, so yeah, but in the last three years, my interest has really picked up uh, sort of another few notches um, and so is probably my expenditure, as the wife will tell you. But it's um, but yeah, so I've just enjoyed trying all the different uh, new worlds that, w- that are out there, and um, it's been it's been quite a, a nice journey. But uh, it was always at the start; it was always Cuban, Cuban throughout. Um, and it's only now, as I said, in the last three years that I've really been exposed to more and more of the new world and and the different nuances you would get from the new world side, which has been phenomenal. I've just it's it's been a great journey now, um, and not so. Um, one side with just Cuban, and I suppose obviously you have it the other way around. Yeah, we do. And uh, what you consider new world, we call domestic. Mm. Um, and so for I'm going to play translator a little bit here tonight because you guys, John has some funny words for a lot of things. I'll help <laughs> go along to uh, translate as as much as I can. Uh, but what uh, what they call the New World cigars is our domestic cigar. So Dominican, Nicaragua, Honduras, anything non-Cuban, basically, we consider the, uh, domestic, which is interesting because you've got some cigars from uh, Sumatra and other places. But, um, yeah, 
So either we have domestic or Cuban and uh, our domestics, they call new world fun times. So, I mean, we can get Cubans. Uh, technically we're not supposed to, but I have personally not had a box of Cubans stopped in customs. And I want to say six years, it's been six years since I've had any Cubans uh, taken from me. So that's nice. What's the traveling and what's the, the crack with traveling out of Cuba? Is it still? Well, it got better under our previous president. Yeah, so believe. And then, and then it got locked down a couple more times by our current president. We're not going to go too far into politics here. Um, but so we cannot travel to Cuba. And in fact, I've even heard stories now of people that go. So what people used to do is go either to Mexico or to another South American country and then hop over from there. But if you try and enter back into the United States with a Cuban stamp in your passport within the um, I want to say last 30 days, um, you can be subject to a fine. Well, okay. So um, that's unfortunate. I want, you know, it, it's so interesting because um, there are a lot of other countries that I think should have travel bans on them that don't. And yet Cuba is is one of them. Yeah. It's a fantastic place. We were lucky enough to go uh, nearly five years ago. And phenomenal. Absolutely brilliant. People were just salt of the earth, just lovely people. It was um, spent a few time traveling around, then went into Havana and just had a crazy time there. So, no, it was, it was brilliant. Went did a lot of the factory tours. And you met a really weird American guy there, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was sitting um, in this... Uh, hotel um just out in the bar but there was music and dancing going on and i was having a cigar and this uh this big fella struts over daniel and um yeah we got talking had a cigar had talked about our love of the, well of whiskey which at the time was copious amounts and yeah just, just had a good laugh and obviously then through da- daniel and met yourself which you know is obviously a downside to the friendship but it's been um no it was it was a great time it was a great time he's a good guy yeah and i'm i'm good friends with uh daniel and uh we call him big bear that's our uh, little mhc nickname for him and uh so daniel reached out to me and said uh a grinder thing yeah yep yeah that it from grinder moved over to uh our uh local cigar group uh, so <laughs> Big Bear reached out to me and he said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta meet this guy John, and uh, he's doing some stuff in cigars, and you know, so yeah, John and I have uh, become fast friends over the last couple months. It's been a, it's been a joy. We have uh, both tried to send each other packages that are stuck somewhere in the limbo of, of the tubes of uh, mail systems, but." Yeah, it's fun times. What do you do? I think I've got a big bill coming from customs. 
Holy so tell us about that. Tell us about, you know, when you get sent cigars, what does that mean for you? And on a, level. On, a on a personal level. So not business wise, but if somebody sends you cigars. Well, it's, I mean, it's fantastic because the range over here, whilst growing, you know, on a weekly basis, you're just, you're not privy to half the cigars that, that are out there, you know, either from, you know, the, the bigger companies to the smaller boutique ones. I mean, yesterday was the first time that I got to try um, Room 101's uh, Death Bucket. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's ones like this that we just don't have access to unless, you know, you, you know somebody in the States or somebody who can and hook you up and, and send them over. So it's, it's amazing to be able to uh, have the contacts and have the friends to facilitate this and and ultimately expand your palate and try different things because yeah it, it's it i'm fortunate to be able to try you know cubans and, and and cigars but it's like like anything it's good to be able to um yeah just try different things try different cigars different uh origins um mm-hmm. everything so it's it is it's fantastic so um but getting them through customs is an absolute nightmare because i think that um, especially now since COVID hit, they've just really tightened down and they've been able to spend so much more time getting staff in and vetting packages so that it's been a logistical nightmare. I think of the packages that I've had through, uh, I think most of them um, end up getting delayed at some point. So sure. it's, uh, yeah, yep. it, it can be a bit of a, a hit and miss whether you get them or not. And if you do get them, then um, you have to send a letter to customs to basically say they're not for resale; they're for they're a gift for personal use, and then you've got to pay a fine, which brings it to roughly about the same price in the UK, or slightly more expensive, or slightly cheaper, depending on basically how they feel. Sometimes they'll, they'll <laughs> honestly, really, some, yeah, and sometimes they'll. Uh, they'll I've, I've heard of it hasn't happened to me, but where they'll um, they'll slice the cigars before they send them back to you. Oh. Dick move. Yeah, a guy sent a picture the other day. He'd he'd received. I can't remember what the cigars were, but they basically just Stanley knifed through all of them. Oh, I'd be pretty pissed. I swear a lot. <laughs> that would be awful. <laughs> all right. So you are originally from Belfast. Yo, yep. And you moved. To and now you currently reside in uh, Manchester, yeah, on yeah. the UK. But you have spent some time in New York. Yeah, yeah, I lived in New York um, for I was there over um, well, two thousand one. I flew out actually. Oh no, uh, shit! Yeah, I flew out in uh, September twelfth. Sorry, no, sorry, no. I I landed on September twelfth, but I flew out on September the eleventh. I think my flight, I think, was the last to leave Newark. Um, and as basically as we landed, there was a lot of commotion, and, and then obviously I saw the news, and it was horrendous. And obviously back then we didn't have, I didn't have a mobile, so yeah, it was uh, it was scary times. And I went back to New York the year after, and yeah, you could see obviously how things had changed and, and fear had set in. It was it was very sad because the states is when obviously I was in hospitality throughout my life. The states is uh, is a place that I've based my training on for for hospitality and for customer service and it's a, it's a place that i that i love and i hold dear to my heart but it, so it was sad to go back the next year and, and see how you know people's fear sort of overtaken them and 
um, the unknown and yeah, but so it was in New York. I was around the New England states, um, traveled about a bit. I've, I've never done um, West Coast. Okay. But Chicago, have you been to Chicago? No, Chicago? never. <clears throat> no, that too. All right. Well, we'll get you over here and, um, you know, if you need, if you can make it to Chicago, I'd love to, you know, meet up with you and. They might, keep, about, me, they might keep me at customs. They might. <laughs> might run a Stanley knife through me. Yeah. Yep. And uh, give you the full glove treatment. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I heard that's fun. Yeah. 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 Just don't I look think, me in the eye. I think Chicago and uh, is like the halfway point for us. So we'll go to Chicago. You come from the UK and we'll meet in the middle, which is about Chicago, I think. Sounds good to me. Super Sounds good at geography. Um, so now you're in Manchester, uh, you're in the UK. I'm wondering if you can give me a little vocabulary lesson. So. <laughs> I've, this I've, is got, be I've got some food items here okay. that uh, we're gonna we're gonna run through. Can you let us know what boxty is? Boxty. 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 That's a potato dish, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you've got to remember is that this is the a traditional Irish dish will be slightly different to what I would have been an Irish, and I don't want to get to, as you said too political. But being brought up as a as a Northern Irish Protestant, we would have different dishes as opposed to traditional Irish dishes. You know, oh, really? Not massive differences, but okay. you know, religion affects all things, including food, <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll see how many of these. Um... I'll give it a go, though. Yeah. How about uh, coddle? What? Coddle? Is that fish? No, it's a stew. No. No, I think I've heard of it, but uh, I couldn't tell you about it. All right. How about uh, Barnbrack? Barnbrack. Yeah, I like got bread. Yeah. Also the name of a really bad band. <laughs> so I looked up uh, Barnbrack is actually, uh, it, it's, it, it is closest to what we have as um, uh, fruit. It's like a fruit. Tea loaf, uh, like a tea bread. Yeah. But yeah. it, it's uh, a lot of people also infuse it in uh, Irish whiskey. Makes sense. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Right. <laughs> we used to actually in our on our old restaurant. We used to make a, like a, a, a tea loaf, tea bread, barmbrack, um, and we used to infuse it with our our own tea. So we used to use um, an Earl Grey vanilla mix, which is one of the teas that we'd, we'd sent over to you. Which obviously customers are enjoying now. Yes, they are. Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're just obviously overworked. I'm being yeah. negative. Maybe they're just obviously very busy with COVID, so I'm just sitting there in a big pile. So anybody that know, I mean, that gets packages frequently knows the the game of checking that either it's FedEx or UPS or USPS um, website for tracking information. And you're watching it, and the ones, you know, the package that John has sent me has said in transit for the longest time it was uh stuck in sauerkraut world for several days and i think finally landed here in the u.s i got an update saying it'll be here tomorrow that was yesterday and then today it said um has not yet been scanned 
So they don't know where it is, which I'm super happy about. You know, <laughs> everybody, everybody knows, you know, uh, the frustrations of, of package uh, tracking and when it gets lost and you want to call somebody and you want to be a Karen and talk to the manager. It's kind of how I feel right now. Yeah, I've sort of felt like I've spent most of my last few weeks just on live chat. Just constant live chat with people or when you ring. And this is the worst thing about having my accent is that when you ring an automated uh, or one of those robot uh, voices and say, please state your reason for calling. And you go, where's my fucking package? (laughs) (laughs) And it says... Please, can you? Re- you got this Stephen Hawkins type character going. Please, can you repeat? And you go, where's my fucking baggage? <laughs> and then, if you say that enough times, then it just uh, comes to be a real person because it just gives up and goes, speak to him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, so. You started doing teas. Yes. Uh, what what got you into? I mean, so here in the states, coffee is the is is king for yep. for beverages here. Regular Joe. Yep. And in the UK, it's tea. Yeah. Uh, when did you really become? Now, give us a little bit of of culture when it when it comes to tea. Is tea such a like everybody drinks tea? Because here in the U.S., I would say a lot of people drink coffee, but not everybody is a coffee drinker, mm. you know. And um, and and there are some that maybe wouldn't even consider themselves coffee drinkers as much as uh, a frou frou drink that happens to have coffee in it. Mm. You know, um, I personally like my coffee black. Uh, nothing in it. Um, every once in a while, a cream can be good you know, as a dessert kind of a coffee deal, but um, I enjoy most of my coffee black. But tea really opens up um, many different profiles because not only do you have the you know the black teas and the green teas, but you also have herbal teas that don't contain any of the the coffee um, mm. or any of the caffeine. So, could you tell me a little bit about what tea is like for? Y'all people over there? Y'all. So no, tea over here is, is, is a pretty much a staple diet. But like you saw with craft beers and things, I, over the last um, maybe 10 years, coffee has just become a big, big commodity where you've got so many roasteries that open up and so many different roasters that open up, cities, cities, villages, towns. Um, and it, it is a massive thing now. So people are really into their... their um, their coffees and it's um it's funny it's coffee is one of those things that it doesn't seem to slow. I mean tea will always be uh, a well drunk beverage over here but coffee is is very much um not to the level that I think is with you in the states but it's it's definitely getting there you know and there's I've never seen so many people with mustaches and plaid shirts just roasting beans while on a bicycle wearing Birkenstock oh, well, yeah yeah with this with no stocks yes yes um and so for you you're what made you decide you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do tea 
Tea something that I always drank. My mum and dad had a hotel outside Belfast years ago, and tea was just something that we always drank. And then as I started running places, we would um, blend different teas for different tasting menus we would do. And then when people started being a bit more conscious about not drinking alcohol, we looked at sort of doing different pairings um, for different, uh, different dishes. And it's just something that when we opened our own business, we knew straight away that we were going to do our own tea menu. But it wasn't as a separate entity, a separate business. And then with the, um, we, we got friends who were chefs who were opening restaurants, and they said, oh, we know you do tea. Uh, can you do a menu for us? And it sort of went from there. And we, were, we, we sort of talked about it one night. And we realized that we were bagging up all this tea and giving it to our customers, just freeze and oh, you know, because they said, Oh, we loved your tea, you know, can we uh, can we buy some? We said, Oh no, listen here, there's a bag of it, you know, take it home, see what you think. And then I realized we were just giving away a shitload of tea for nothing. And then we thought, well, let's make this into a business and see what happens. And and it it was nice because it complemented our, our restaurant nicely. And then when we sold the restaurant back in November, um we decided to invest some more money in it and invest in packaging and um, research and do a few more products. And, and yeah, it's, it is. Tea, unfortunately, is one of those things that every business, they have to have it. They honestly don't give much of a shit about it, but they still stock it. But we sort of find ourselves in that, that point where we believe that if you offer a high-quality product at a good price, um, it becomes a no-brainer. And whereas with coffee, it's a everybody's a lot more of a coffee expert well whereas with tea it's just a given that people drink tea but people are a lot more savvy towards coffee and its its origins and the estates that it's from and how it's roasted etc so it's um whether that will happen with tea where it'll have that sort of big resurgence as, as coffee i'm not too sure maybe it'll just be one of those beverages that it's just a, a staple go-to interesting because here there are there's a few different tea uh, places that you can go and get quality loose leaf tea. Um, and when you walk into these places, uh, I feel like you are automatically judged um, and uh, educated whether you want it to be or not on, on tea and the history of tea and the proper way of preparing tea. Mm. Uh, so there is a snobbiness that happens here with those but there are coffee snobs too certain coffee shops you go here you can order you know a, a, a coffee and uh be fine and other places you can order something and they'll look at you like are you sure you want me to make that because really do you uh, get this over there do you get this is my pet hate do you get when you go into one of these tea establishments and they pour a tea and they put a little timer a little egg timer have you got that over there? No. What is Good. that timer for? It's horrible. It's horrendous. So people do this thing. that They bring the tea out and they say, obviously, steeping time um, can be oh. two minutes, three minutes. So they'll bring this wee egg timer out and they'll be like, and they'll turn and be like, you know, oh, this, I, hate that. I hate that. I'm not making an egg. Walk me through. I've, uh, I've just reloaded my uh, infuser. I've got a, a new uh, loose leaf. Uh, from Tivana that I'm trying. It's a it's a lemon um, green tea. Mm. That, uh, I think I had a long time ago. But so, how long do you infuse your your tea? It all depends. I mean, 
with a, a tisane, so a, a fruit herbal tea, um, be in and around maybe four minutes um, because I like a stronger profile. For a, a black tea, uh, depending on the strength and the, the amount of uh, tannins in it, probably around two minutes, two to three yeah. minutes at most. Um, green tea, uh, probably about the same as well, about two to three minutes. I think in and around that two to three minutes is basically your, your window. That's where you want to be unless it's a, it's a Santa fruit base. And I think the longer you expose it into the water, um, the leaves into the water, the better for it to sand. Yeah, with some herbal teas, I never remove the bag or the infuser. Because um, okay. I <clears throat> like it to, especially if it's tea that, um, you know, those, those uh, uh, what is it, tannins? Tannins, yep. Tannins that... <laughs> They are prominent in a lot of black teas, and I know some green teas as well, that will really dry out your mouth. So if it's high in those tannins, you only want to steep for two, three minutes tops. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, as drinking we, a whole lot more uh, of something else. As we say in Belfast, you just want to show it the bag. <laughs> it's kind of the equivalent of uh, walking the cow next to the grill. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, cut off the horns and. <laughs> <laughs> so can can we talk a little bit about uh, pairing? Well, before yeah. we we talk about pairing, um, I want to talk about your story of the cigar company, okay. and, and then let's make a full circle back into um, how we got into cigars and teas and and bring it bring it together. Um, so sober cigar. Uh, Sober Cigar Company. Yeah, Sober Cigar, yeah. Sober Cigar. Tell us about Sober Cigar. Where did that come from? You're Irish, so clearly you're not sober. Well, I am as a... Um, I know it's, it freaks people out when you go, yeah, I'm Irish and I don't drink anymore. But to sort of get an understanding of that, I think I've probably consumed enough alcohol to last 10 lifetimes, so... You know, I've been there and done it, and you know, I've still got the liver the size of a one p coin, so it's you know, it's fine, <laughs> <laughs> dry. But you know, the whole thing with a super cigar is that my I wouldn't say frustration, but I, I find it quite irritating that every website we're always pushing the pairings of, of rum or, or whiskeys, and and this and um, this brings out this flavor in, in the cigar. And I know that now there's more and more people who are who are looking at teas and. And pairings with uh, you know with cigars, but and coffees, for example, obviously was a traditional pairing. But I just felt there was, given now the amount of producers that are out there that are producing fantastic, not just non-alcoholic beers, but uh, non-alcoholic spirits, teas, um, soft drinks. Um, I just thought you know th- there's so much more choice out there for people, and given obviously my interest in cigars and the contacts that I had from stocking them over the years. I just thought, given now that I think in the UK, is it two or three people out of five uh, don't drink or um, drink a lot less than they used to? And I think with um, uh, um, COVID, one thing that's brought about is that it's there's been a real split. So people either drink more now than ever yep. or they have reduced uh, their alcohol consumption. So it's, yeah, I just I just thought that, you know, when we sold the restaurant, it was just something that I wanted to sort of pursue and look into. And I've gone into it with no expectations of growing it into 
to anything. I just wanted to be able to provide good cigars and obviously bring in as many new ranges and lines as possible, but as well as that, offer uh, alternatives to you know, the whiskies, the rums, the tequilas, uh, and just but still have that interesting talking point and that that sort of quality level of pairing that you know you might not have um, been exposed to. Absolutely. So what what is the what is the vision for sober cigar? What where do you want that to go, and where is it today? At the moment, we um, we're a, a very 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 small company at the at the start of our journey. And we have a small range of um, alcohol-free beers, um, of uh, alcohol or low-alcohol spirits, and our filled tea range. Um, and, yeah, the idea is just to keep building on that. Um, I knew that the the drink side would probably be the secondary uh, side to the business and the cigars would be the first. And, and it's proved that way, and that's fine. Um, so the idea is now to sort of build on that to start – um, bringing in lines and, and having exclusive lines, um, which we're sort of in talks with at the minute. So that's that's going to be an ongoing thing. But yeah, but I've got no no expectations. I just want to um, yeah, just just show that there's there's another world out there as opposed to um, alcohol drinks that um, people compare with a cigar. So obviously, you know, in that whole drink and drive type thing, you know, where you can have a you can wait for a meal, you can have a nice cigar. You can have some really nice alcohol-free beers. You can have a nice um, cocktail, um, whatever, and it's and it's 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 non-alcohol and it's and yeah, it's just it's you know it's always just about showing that other side. It's not about taking over. It's not about replacing. It's just about saying you, you've got another alternative here or another option. Absolutely, and <clears throat> as somebody who you know myself, I sobered up at uh, seventeen, and. You know, I live vicariously through Matt and uh, through a lot of other close friends who are cigar smokers for pairing because I get asked a lot, you know, um, if I'm working, you know, either in a retail space and cigars or I'm out at an event, people are asking, you know, what kind of beer goes good with this? What kind of, you know, whiskey or um, bourbon or, you know, what have you would go with this cigar or I like this particular kind of bourbon, what would... And I have to really lean on some of you know, my other people to give those answers. Mm. But what I do talk about is, you know, teas and a lot of these, you guys, there are a lot of great non-alcoholic craft beers that are coming out. Uh, John's got some ones that, uh, that are local to both uh, UK and Europe. And yeah. Big drop. They're coming to it's a belief. Are they really? Big drop, yeah, they're fantastic. Really, really good. I mean, you you wouldn't know there's no alcohol. It's it's it is phenomenal. Yeah, and there's a, a one uh, a, a new craft beer, non-alcoholic craft beer place that uh, is in Minneapolis. They're blowing up. They're selling out like crazy, and it's called Hairless Dog. I've mm. talked about it a few times on the show. They make a. Uh, they make a coffee stout uh, that is fantastic. They make an IPA that is pretty good. Um, they make a oh, what's the other one? There was another. Uh, I forget what the other one is, but look up Hairless Dog 
a lot of the local in, in the Twin Cities are carrying them. I know Chicago has got them in spades. Um, there's um, a couple places in Atlanta. Uh, but search for Hairless Dog. It's a great craft, non-alcoholic beer company for those who are in the, in the States. Um, so I'm going to go to Matt. Matt had a question earlier. What are some of your favorite cigar and tea pairings? Um, lately, um, I've been really, really enjoying, um, we do a Japanese cherry uh, green tea. And mm. normally green tea is, is quite grassy and quite bitter. But the, the sort of sweetness of the, the Japanese cherry negates the bitterness. So that, I find, works really, really well with them. Not just, because traditionally a green tea would go well with something like a lighter shade, like a Connecticut. But I found that actually it works even with this, with the stronger blends and sort of the darker wrappers. Even like I mean, I would use it now for most Maduros. And uh, so yeah, the, the a fruit based uh, green tea is a really good option, as well as that for a really creamy smoke, uh, an Earl Grey, um, mm. with or without milk. I think with milk and um, works really really well because you've got that sort of um, creaminess on both sides with complement each other, um, yeah. and then. It's our Belfast breakfast, which is um, a good, strong breakfast tea, it works really well um, with them as well. So, because you've got um, sort of medium levels of tannin in it, so um, but not not harsh, not astringent, not not too strong. So, so they work well. So, I think it, it depends. Um, I mean, for example, tonight I'm drinking the peppermint because I figure because I'm going to probably have a couple of cigars. The good thing about having a peppermint tea with a cigar is that every time you take a drink, it just refreshes your palate. It doesn't um, cloy or overtake your palate or um, cloud the taste of cigar. It just refreshes it without um, tainting it with another flavor. Yeah, that's a really good point. So when we talk about uh, pairing, for me, and I've talked about this a few times on the show too, I know Matt has as well, uh, what you drink really influences how you uh, taste that cigar and how you enjoy that cigar. If you're drinking Coke or root beer or um, something that's really sugary, if that cigar has any natural sweetness in it, it'll be gone. You, yeah. it'll, it'll be missed in your mouth because of what you're drinking is so sugared that all of those little nuances are gone. So what John, you know, eloquently, so eloquently put is that juxtaposition between something that is bitter or peppermint or something to refresh. And then you take that pull, you have a fresh palate almost every time you're drawing on that cigar and then you go back to the tea or whatever you're drinking. Um, it's a beautiful combination. Instead of finding two things that are alike, you know, they will drown themselves out, but to find something that pairs with a good juxtaposition that's what I enjoy when I'm looking for something that pairs well. Would you agree? Yeah, no, completely, one hundred percent. And and I think that's the that's the fun thing about um, the the sober cigar is that we have been looking for products that not just are are unique or are, are interesting, but also ultimately pair with a cigar. And that's that's the whole aim. Um, you know, we've got a a, a very low alcohol uh, gin on there. Some of the, the gins that come out that are non-alcoholic, um, I haven't been a massive fan of, whereas this one, because they've retained a small bit of the alcohol in it, and then obviously when you add your mixer, then it, it brings it down to you know 0.1 or something. 
But because they've allowed that part of the distillation to still carry on, you've still got that flavour, more of a botanicalness in it. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I think the products that are coming out now are, are, are interesting, they're fantastic, and they are geared towards um, the lifestyle of, you know, people who are interested in cigars and they have those flavour profiles that, that do complement more these days because, obviously, before you used to look at a for alcoholic or non-alcoholic drinks, it was like Bex Blue, which was... Uh, do you have that over there? We do. Um, for us, it it is O'Doul's was the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was the staple for many years, and um, for teetotaler families, if you were making beer brats or anything with beer, um, it was almost always uh, a uh, O'Doul's, and it was the green, and it's disgusting, and it's gross to drink. Um, it's funky. That's pretty much Bex Blue. It was like um, yeah. a mixture between wet cardboard and an armpit. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cut from the same cloth. Uh, <laughs> and then O'Doul's came out, I want to say, I mean, 15 ish years ago. O'Doul's came out with O'Doul's Amber. And that changed the game for non alcoholic beer here in the States. Um, it was good. It was a very good, non and still good. Um, mm. I will have a uh, O'Doul's Amber anytime. And um, but when the explosion of craft beers came on the board, you know, we started seeing pop ups of of all these little, um, you know, places putting out non alcoholic craft beers. Mm. And it's been fun. Uh, and I think there's a as I said, the amount of different stouts now. I mean, obviously Guinness have brought it. I haven't tried it yet, but Guinness have brought out that Guinness Zero, which is, I mean, I haven't tried it, but apparently it's the exact same as Guinness. I've heard that. Um, and I, one of my favorites for a long time was uh, Caliber, which is a Guinness product. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, which is a, a, a decent beer. Uh, Daniel has a question. How is the root beer game in the UK? Non-existent. You, really? Yeah, you don't get root beer unless you go to some like specialist shops and things. It's just not something you really get. Huh. Yeah, it's it's not something. It's I mean, the only time I've had it is when I was over in the states. Maybe maybe yeah. that's another. Hey, oh. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Not to shoot down Daniel for uh, you know. So you might want to pair root beer with a non-sweet cigar so it doesn't lose that. Um, uh, that piece, but brings some sweetness to your palate when you're drinking the root beer, and then maybe it's a more bitter cigar um, naturally. Uh, maybe a Candela or um, because a re- yeah, go ahead. Years ago, we um, we had obviously cherry coke and things like that, and then they disappeared, and then they started coming back in again. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's quite a conservative sort of market over here for soft drinks. Yeah. They know what they know and they like what they like. Yeah. So let's talk about cigar cigar culture uh, in the UK. What does cigar culture look like in the UK in a snapshot? Um it's getting better, but it's it still has uh it's still sort of held up there right alongside probably pornography and whatever else it's um really 
Yeah, it's it is um it's still frowned upon and it, it does get lumped in with the uh, with cigarettes. Um it is changing, you know. I've seen obviously through social media and um through people who contact me that the market is changing and, and more younger people are getting into it, but it's nowhere near as advanced as it is in the States. Nowhere near. But it is changing. What about uh, European countries? Yeah, I mean it's um that's there there's still I think a lot more advanced in their sort of outlook on, on cigars in the UK. The UK still is quite um, uh, sort of strict on it, I guess. Um, I mean, obviously, I just saw a comment there. There's um, there, there's nowhere, for example, in the UK, I think there's a handful of, of cigar lounges, literally a handful, you know, a few of them. Um, there's none in Manchester as of yet. Um it's just and any ones that are they're they're very much geared towards a certain clientele, which is usually the more middle class, wealthier male, and that and that's that's the market. That's what um, that's unfortunately the market that it's um, perceived and geared towards at the minute. And that's something I'm really desperate to change. Not just people's perceptions of it, but the price point. Because the price point in the UK is horrendous for cigars. It's the tax obviously that goes on top of it is just crazy. So yeah, I think the it's an old-fashioned um, profile um, of who the sort of average cigar smoker is in the UK, but that is changing. But I'll be it very slowly. Yeah, and I know that <clears throat> the the packaging that cigars are required to have, even in the UK, are are full of stickers of yeah. these things will murder you and. Um, so you know from that standpoint i know that you know the u.s has certainly got a a leg up on how how we view cigars though our battles aren't done there are still forces that are are trying to get um you know get all tobacco products and and you know like you said lumping them with cigar or with cigarettes same here um there's still a lot of lobbyists who are trying to get cigars um you know either taxed much higher or banned outright so our fight isn't done what um are there pro lobbyists for cigars um not like you you have over in the states there um there are sort of private groups who who sort of promote um to uh premium tobacco or premium cigars, but then but not lobbying to the point that you would have over over there. Um it's it still is a different mindset. It is still viewed as a as a, a rich man's uh, hobby. Um mm-hmm. but that's simply for the price point on it. I mean when you're looking at uh an average price of around anything between 15, 14, 15, 16 pounds up to 30, 40, 50 pounds, you know, it's um, for a single cigar. Um, mm-hmm. Because obviously the, the cost that you were, you mentioned there about the stickers, the cost that the government have put a post, uh, a post onto the um, importers and et cetera, is that all the stickers that have to go on, all the different um, health legislations, forms they have to fill out, it's um, all the taxes, it's, it's crazy. So obviously, and that just gets passed on, and and sometimes just at a at a crazy rate. 
and I am just looking up the <clears throat> the uh, U.S. dollar to U.K. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, so it's seventy five point seven five pounds to the U.S. dollar. So. <clears throat> You know, a fourteen dollar, a fourteen pound cigar is going to be, you know, eighteen dollars ish. I mean, for um, trying to give you an example of a cigar, um, like that shady, <clears throat> say that shady. Now that shady yeah. in the U.S., <clears throat> I think the MSRP is like eleven dollars U.S. Mm-hmm. What what would that cost you? We we don't have that over here. Okay. So, so um, trying to I mean, get a price and have an idea. Um, uh, so, for example, um, a really entry level Cuban. Um, Say, for example, if you went for um, a Monte Cristo uh, Petit Chubus, you're looking probably for a single £25.60. And that will, and that will, that's, that's probably at the cheaper level. Um, yep. uh, Roman Julieta, around the sort of 24, 25, 26 mark. Um, an H. Upman Mag 54, around the sort of early 20s. So without going deep into politics is, is, uh, can you just take us through a little bit about the, uh, the parliamentary discussions that have happened in the last 20 years? Have, have there been any, any discussions or any movements or any laws that have been made in the last 20 years? God. Um, well, obviously apart from the, the smoking ban, which came in, I mean, the smoking ban was a big thing, which just killed um, businesses, uh, hospitality businesses, just dead in the water. Um, how long ago was that now? Is that 12, 15 years, maybe? Um, but it was, yeah, and that, that put a lot of businesses out of use. And um, ever since then, obviously, you've had more uh, of the sort of laws put in where not smoking in public, not smoking in, 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 and only being able to smoke in designated areas. So it definitely has been pushed towards that sort of pariah level where, um, yeah, it's, um, it's it's frowned upon. But not as strict, like I said, over in the States where you, you've got people sort of lobbying against it. It's still frowned upon. And I think, you know, less and less these days you see people outside smoking because it's just they're all lumped in together, whether cigarettes, vaping, cigars. People still have that stigma of it over here. But um, I think the the smoking ban was the big thing that um, not just encouraged people to quit smoking in whatever state or whatever way, but, um, but yeah, it just um, really crushed a lot of businesses. But now you see a lot more places opening um, beer gardens. But once again, these beer gardens are now turning into smoke-free. So... Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> uh, Josh says uh, Winston Churchill would be very disappointed in the lack of cigar culture these days. 
Yeah, he would. <laughs> yeah, he would. It is. It's it's a shame because obviously you look on, on social media and you see, you know, the, the cigar lounges you have over in the States and we're just so jealous of that. You know, we, we would love that. But it's and some people say, you know, it's um it, it's it, the cigar lounge in the UK is just isn't gonna happen, that you, you wouldn't get the 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 planning for it. Other people say, yeah, it would be, but you're talking so much investment in in an area, and it was something that uh, I was looking into. But the uncertainty is just something that, at the moment, is just scaring me off. Because, and I spoke to a few people about it, but I think because there's still that uncertainty, not just from a legality point of view, but from a consumer point of view, is there enough business? Is there enough people interested coming into a cigar lounge? Um, with the price point that it is, is there enough money in it to make it a viable business? Anthony? Yeah, and you know, and I wonder too the lack of lobbying. Um, do you so help us understand a little bit about how lobbying happens, if it happens at all, over there in the UK? Not only tobacco, but any issue at all. Are there are there lobbyists? Um, in in the UK, like like we have here in the states, or you know, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have your um, your different governing bodies here. You look after be it um, uh, the environment, be it um, small business, be it any sort of trade and commerce. And um, so, yeah, there's there's bills that get passed. But I mean, I, I may be wrong, but the cigar side is obviously something that doesn't really get approached much um, and there isn't much traction on it, whether that's through interest or just it's just allowed to sort of take over because see the government make good money off it um, and it's just allowed to carry on. But yeah, everything else obviously you have, as you call it, lobbyists that um, will fight for the rights of, of things, but unfortunately that are more relevant, like um, trade or um, health and education or things like that, but, but, not, but not sort of more the hobby side like the Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Interesting and unfortunate. You know, um, we uh, we put a lot of money into lobbying for a lot of different things. Um, yeah, we don't definitely don't have that. Yeah, we we could do with it because they might the people now that have an opinion here in in government. A lot of them shouldn't have an opinion, but but they do. So, Amen. and there's a lot. Of there's a lot of people making decisions on maybe outdated facts and um, or with an uh, alternative sort of um, agenda. But it's um, yeah, the, 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 it's nowhere near as as sort of uh, as focused on on people's rights as, as you would have over there. That's it's definitely it's, it's a lot louder over there. Interesting. Well, we are going to move on to this week's uh, vocabulary word. And as always, Smokabulary is brought to you by A.J. Fernandez. Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The day-to-day operations at Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez are managed under the watchful eye of Mr. A.J. Fernandez himself in order to ensure superior quality. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of premium cigars provides blend strength and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer. Whether it's New World, Diaz de Gloria, San Latano, 
Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with premium cigar from AJ Fernandez. All right. So this week, the smokabulary word is chewy. Uh, Matt picked up, uh, picked out this uh, smokabulary word, and I love it. Um, when I describe a cigar as chewy, John, what what would come to mind uh, for you as a, chewy as a descriptor? A full-bodied cigar, um, something with a bit of with a bit of bite to it. Yeah. And um, I think the uh, there's a, there's a few cigars like uh, the Nica Rustica is uh, is probably one of the oiliest cigars on the market today, and the amount of smoke output really adds to that chewiness. So when you draw in that smoke and it's just so thick in your mouth, it feels like you can you can chew it. Um, and, uh, you know, as Matt here puts uh, the description, sometimes the smoke from a cigar can be so dense and thick that it has a mouthfeel that is commonly referred to as chewy. Mm. Can you think yeah. of a cigar that, that's chewy? Um, I think probably something like, um, the Bolivar and the Phenos. Oh Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'll say that's that's a chewy cigar. Absolutely. Every time I say chewy, I, I just I keep thinking of Star Wars. I don't know if it's a real big one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, dang it! I don't have the music, but I'm I'm gonna do it anyway. Um. We are going to now move into Numero de los Muertos. That's weird to say without Matt. Um, Numero de los Muertos is brought to you by Oveja Negra Brands. They bring you premium smoking experiences forged from tobacco, time, and talent. Comprised of Black Label Trading Company, Black Work Studio, Dissident, and Emilio, Oveja Negra Brands provide smokers uncompromising brands, blends renowned for their flavor and lasting impression. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock. Visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more. All right, so I had to dig for a couple days for this one, and I'm I'm shocked at the number, to be honest with you. But this number is 16 in the UK every year. Now, John, if you've seen any of our shows, you know that this is a kind of a 20 questions type of thing where I give a number and you got to tell me how or the viewers, how these 16 people die every year in the UK. I'll give clues along the way as, as we go and roam rabbit holes. So viewers and listeners, please go ahead and uh, start guessing or asking questions how these 16 people in the UK die every year. Uh, sheep attacks. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go no. No on sheep attacks. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing that that is that is a much higher yeah 100% uh, I don't know how that happens but I'm sure it does teabagging oh yeah teabagging tea yep. I bet that claims some lives every year it's not what we're looking for 
All right, John, what do you, what do you got? Come on, give, uh, give us something here. I was watching the comments there. Um, so 16 people dying. Um, On average, yep. Getting hit by a bus. Hit by a bus. It's not hit by a bus. Getting um, hit by a kitchen utensil. Kitchen utensil. Hmm. Nope. The reason is that, can I, can I tell you a story, a quick story about this? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a way, I'll try and I'll, I'll, I'll tone it down a wee bit so so it's not offensive, but there was a story in the paper a good few years back now. I don't know if this is an urban legend, but I hope it's not because it's fantastic. This um this husband and wife um were I think they were just making breakfast and the husband was you know and showing off and he had his apron on, nothing on underneath it. And he was making uh, pancakes for the wife. And, uh, you know, he was tossing them up and showing off. It. And um, the wife, obviously feeling a bit amorous, decided to show some love with, with her mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. So basically, a male being cocky decided whilst he was receiving this, this joyous thing, yeah. flipped the pancake up. But unfortunately, he didn't catch the pancake and the pancake landed on the lady's back which caused her to clench and bite down. And now a man being a man, obviously loving that part of his body, did the first thing that came to mind, which is just cracked around the head with a frying pan. So, yeah, so they were both admitted to the hospital. She had a stoved-in head, and, and he had obviously a half-severed penis. So that was what made me think about kitchen utensils. <laughs> Pancake Sunday, you're welcome. Wow. That's a good story. Uh, That does not, well, at least that's not the statistic I'm looking for. I love it. Uh, So a couple more here. We got gunshots. Uh, Nope. We've got choking on haggis, which is probable, but it's not the number I'm looking for. That's kind of like what we were just talking about. Yeah. Uh, Falling off the cliffs of Dover. Uh, That is not it. Oops. Uh, drunk driving. I don't. Nope. Uh, um, but it's obviously something stupid. I mean, it, it's. It is. It is stupid. Um, but it, and it's interesting because um, I had a better time finding these statistics for UK than I did in the US. And I'm sure that the numbers in the US would probably be higher, um, just population. Um, but I couldn't find a solid category. Um, these numbers come from a study between 2003 and 2017, which averaged out to be 16 a year. Um, so Non-medical. what's that? Non-medical. Medical. No. So they're non-medical. No. The death? Okay. Well, I mean, no. They're not like an illness or uh, anything like that. Can you give us a clue? Yes. It is not a train. Uh, my first clue is um, you should be having a good time 
instead of doing this. Wow. What a, what a vague clue. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Diane, uh, you could be having a good time. You should instead. be having a good time instead of doing this. And it's, uh, it's 98% men. Diane outside a brothel. Ooh, no. No. <laughs> um, uh, some sort of ledger? No. Some see it as a rite of passage. I'm going to give it to uh, Big Bear, Daniel. Drunk fighting? Yes. So... Oh. Pub fights in the UK are uh, are a rite of passage for for a lot of people. They and, are, and I was surprised that it only took sixteen, an average of sixteen lives per year. Um, my, you know, being that I've never been to the UK, I don't know what that's really like, but I do know that. Uh, you know, we get a, a, a good amount of news that the pub scene in the UK can be pretty, you know, fights just happen. It is. It's um, that's one thing. I mean, and I noticed that with them when I lived in America is that your drinking culture is completely different to ours. Like, I mean, obviously you do have, you know, the, the fraternities and things and, you know, they go all out and, and all the rest, but you go out and you know you'll you'll have a, a chaser and a beer and and it's it's quite civilized. Whereas in the UK and obviously mixed in with the fact that I'm Irish, it, it's it's there's drinking and then the conversation I suppose is part of it, but the drinking is the main sport, and mm-hmm. it's it's fast, it's ferocious, and it's you don't mess about. Yeah, you know. Whereas you, you seem to do it a lot better than us. We like the UK. The binge drinking problem is. It is quite cringy at times when you see it, especially now with not drinking. You look at it and you think, Christ, you know, is that what I was like? Which <laughs> you know, most of the time was worse. But, yeah, it's um, it's it's bad. And I suppose when you mention it, there is, on the news, there's always um, somebody was beaten up, somebody was stabbed or something. And it's always alcohol-based. And it's the promotions that they do for... And that's talking actually about the lobbyist side, <clears throat> It's funny that there was a lot of lobbying on uh, on uh, antisocial behaviour and the, the drinking and the promotions. There used to be most clubs and bars would do one pound shot promotions and and it was just hell for leather. It was it was crazy. So it's um yeah, I, I suppose we I just see that as normal, I suppose, but if you bring that up as a stat then it's not something that we see as, as anything different. If people get drunk, people go out and mess each other up and and you go, well, yeah, you know, they were drunk. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's the Irish. I mean, I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's what we do. Which is so, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where uh, it, it just seems so foreign to us to uh, to go out. And uh, so give us an idea. Um, in a month's time, mm. going out to the pub within that month. The pubs won't be open. <laughs> <laughs> but how often yeah so in a normal year when yeah. when pubs are open and um and mm-hmm. you're drinking 
in a month's period, how many fights is, is an average amount for a, you know, a, a average pub goer? Um, average pub goer, not many, to be honest with you, because it all depends. I mean, you know, there's the, the areas that you can go to, you know, for a nice drink and, and most of it won't happen. And then there's the areas, you know, in the pubs that you go to that are just renowned for there's always, you know, shit's going to kick off somewhere. Yeah. So it's, and obviously you've got bouncers, you know, who, who are, um, who are there most of the time. So it's, it's not too bad, but I think where the problem lies is then when you come out into the street outside of the pub and people congregate and there was that problem that when they, when they introduced the, the tier three or the tier two where pubs had to close at 10 o'clock and you saw probably in your news there with people piling out in the streets in London and, and Manchester and wherever else. And it was just carnage. People were just going absolutely buck mad. Just, you know, one minute they're they're playing cricket in the middle of the street or football with a jumper or someone's head. And then the next minute, you know, somebody said something and it's just all gone crazy. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's it's um, it's when when they get outside that that it's that's when it all kicks off because they've just consumed too much alcohol far too quickly, and it's yeah. just party time. Well, and most of the statistics, um, I want to say it was almost a sixty forty split between Scotland and Ireland, with a very small percentage actually being London proper or England proper. See, that's the thing is, as Irish people, we don't like to disappoint. We like to live up to our stereotypes. <laughs> you know, play to your strengths and, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's <what> we do. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, that was, uh, so 16. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, the right guess. Uh, that was this week's numero de los muertos. Um. Let's talk about the Blarney Stone. <laughs> so you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but for those who don't know the Blarney Stone, this is what I knew about the Blarney Stone. I knew that it was this, uh, this, this stone, this tourist attraction for people to come and view and for Americans to, to kiss it. What I also knew is that the Irish... Uh, like to piss on it um, so that they can watch all the Americans kissing this green stone piss thing. <laughs> can you enlighten us a little bit about what the Bar- Blarney Stone really is, what it what it's supposed to be? Well, obviously everyone says that the Irish have the gift of the gab, and it, meaning you know, they, they like to talk a lot and they like to, to just converse and, and, and just talk to them. Basically, have the crack. So the Blarney Stone is basically this supposed mythical um, stone that, if kissed, um, then gifts uh, gifts the person, the kisser, the gift of the gab and the, the gift of the Blarney, as they say. And that's where that phrase came from. The Blarney yeah. Stone. They say, oh, you know, you're talking Blarney, or which just means you're 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 talking nonsense, or you're talking nonstop. So yeah, it's basically. Now I've never done it myself, but I believe it's quite tricky to get to you've got to lean back and hold on to these really rickety bars and kiss this stone which obviously all the surrounding pubs when they pile out at night all the, all the guys go up and, and just have a slash on it and 
<laughs> and I think this is hysterical. So you've got you know, you've got you ones coming over and they're all like, you know, oh my god, I kissed the Blarney Stone. The guy's just pulling the up for him. Yeah, chow down, my friend. <laughs> I can feel the Blarney in my mouth. <laughs> Oh, well, you got Seamus up on top. Oh, look at the Americans <laughs> kissing my kiss. Um, is, is Seamus from Mumbai? <laughs> <laughs> but the dudes, I, I think it's really funny. And I think most people know that that's what happens now. But people, I mean, it flocked to it. You know, I don't know if that says something about culture nowadays, but. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a wide fact that the, the locals just pee all over that stone, just go to town on it. So funny. I wonder how many uh, just ignorant Americans or tourists in general that go over there. Um, now, with the influx of companies like Apple and uh, a few other tech companies who have come the way of uh ireland do you have you seen a change in uh culture infrastructure anything since since some of these big companies have uh come over oh yeah massively i mean the fact that i mean just taking in manchester alone um the obviously the amazon and and uh google and, and the amount of companies that have come on board you've got these areas of manchester that used to be i mean i've been living in manchester on and off for god 12 odd years and the the amount of businesses now that have set up in these areas that used to be proper rupee areas like really really dodgy rupee areas are now hipster capitals you know and it's great to see it is fantastic to see but it's um i mean even when we left manchester moved up to cumbria where we had our restaurant in the, the lake district um we came back and there was trams going through areas that you wouldn't have even driven through at high speed you know, it's open bus, wow. open tour buses, but it's happening everywhere. I mean, even in in Belfast, which is fantastic to see, you've got these uh, open bus tours that go um, through the likes of the Shanklin Falls. And anybody who's not familiar, the Shanklin Falls are the really hot spots in Belfast where you've got the, the, the Peace Wall. And they were dodgy, dodgy areas. And now you've got these tour buses and you've got you know, all sorts of tourists, you know, over taking pictures and, you know, the stopping off and going into pubs where, you know, people were brought in. They were called rumper rooms. People were brought in, tortured and shot. And then you've got you know, a Chinese guy outside. And, you know, and it's it's fantastic to see. You know, it's it's, it's unbelievable because with them, um, bigger companies, obviously, is, you know, and without, I know there's pros and cons to, you can sort of say it's gender, gentrification. Well, I, I can't say it. <laughs> but it's, um, it has to be good, you know, in certain levels. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's bringing the, the profile up. I mean, in Northern Ireland alone, the, the tourist industry has just thrived over the last few years. And it's, um, you've got, um, films over there, like, uh, programs like the Game of Thrones, which obviously just did so much for the economy. And now the likes of Northern Ireland are, are getting a really positive reception and a positive reputation and moving away from the stigma. And um, not so much the drinking stigma that will always be there, but the right. you know the, um, the violence side and, and it's it's good it's 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 good that it's happening. Um, but like I said, it doesn't always. There's always two sides to the coin, so you're always going to have the other side, which it's um, making 
property, uh, making living expenses or, or just living costs through the roof. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a two-sided coin, definitely. Well, it is because, you know, most of these companies left the U.S. to avoid massive taxes, uh, mm. corporate taxes. Yeah. And, you know, you got to think that there's some kind of deal, you know, with uh, the English government to bring these companies in that they're going to be getting some kind of tax break. So just right off the top, that's got to, you know, that's got to rub some locals the wrong way. But at the same point, they're bringing in a ton of employees who are going to be spending money and, um, you know, bringing some of that back into the local economy. Yeah. I mean, what is the feeling from majority of locals on, on these big tech companies coming in? Mostly, uh, it's a positive experience, and it's a it's a positive outlook on it. Um, there's obviously been a lot of um, programs lately just into how sustainable um, the cost of living is uh, in the likes of London and, and Manchester and the other big cities. It's um, you're always going to have two sides, um, to you're always going to have two versions to it. Um, but all in all, I think it's a very positive thing. That, it seems to be perceived as a positive. People always moan about are the likes of bigger companies, the bigger tech companies, are they paying tax? Are they have they got tax havens? You've got a um a company that's just gone into administration, a clothing company, um, and there's something like three hundred million pounds owed in um pensions. Um, but obviously that isn't being um forked out, whilst obviously the owner has a massive big yacht in Monaco, so it's there's always you know, Shit's gonna always roll downhill, and I think that. Um, but all in all, it is. It is moving in the right direction. It's just obviously the greed will always be there. Um, I have a a, a neighbor who uh, she she was born in Ireland, but they moved here when she was very young, four years old, um, and then uh, their parents moved back uh, to Ireland to retire and. Uh, they were here last summer and I got to ask uh, the dad, you know, what, uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, Google and Amazon over there? And his response to me was, well, they can't drink. I tell you that much. <laughs> so uh, apparently uh, the uh, they don't hold their liquor like the locals. And if that's the most negative that uh, you can say about, a uh, new company coming in. I think they're doing all right. No, I think and it's funny. You see them around them. Um, you see a lot of the tech guys now in all the cafes and you'll see them there with their laptops and, and that sort of remote working now has become such a big, big thing. And it, it really has. But um, but yeah, the drinking culture, they, have, they haven't caught up with the drinking culture at all. They're, they're not used to it and they, they, get, they get lost. <laughs> like the rabbit in headlights. Yeah, uh, apparently my my guy Orlando is a little late to the show, and it's all good. Love you, brother. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, wants to know the cigar taxes over here. Can you uh, can you lay down what uh, cigar cigar taxes look like? So yeah, um, well, tax over here is twenty percent. Um, I'm just actually because it's just increased um, there on the twelfth of November. Uh, so standard, obviously, VAT is 20% alcohol and tobacco. Um, I'm trying to see. 
And now is the, is the public aware of when taxes are going to be going up or that parliament? Yeah, it's just usually quite a big announcement. Um, and obviously there's always the, um, the increase in, on alcohol and uh, uh, that everybody expects. But the, the, la- the latest one there was sort of because of everything with COVID and, and Brexit, I think was a bit... Um, so, yeah, so 12th of November, uh, it was an increase by 2%. Um, so there was on, on all tax. Um, so it went up by an additional 4%. So it's 6% that it's at now. Wow. Which is still a hefty increase. So I mean, that, that translated roughly to, on, a, on every box, roughly about an extra about 12, 13 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, did you uh, switch over to the uh, the shade, the shady? Yeah. Love this cigar. Beautiful. I was lucky enough to try it for the first time only a couple of weeks ago, and I ended up buying a few more. Um, I think I've, I think I've got about three or four left, maybe three left, but they're. They're beautiful, absolutely cracker cigar. Yeah, uh, and then you, you guys had the Undercrown Shady. Yeah, it's tasty. And it's funny. I'm, I don't always tend to go for a box press. Um, I don't know if that's for any particular reason. Um, but this, I just think, is is a cracker cigar, and it's the the construction on it is just phenomenal, and it's pretty yeah. flawless. Yep. It no, it always performs very well. Good draw. Um, you know, like you, sometimes the box press is a little scary because if it's too loosely rolled, mm. it, there's no resistance and yeah. uh, it can, it can get funny. All right, John, we are going to move into, um, a lightning round of, uh, non-cigar related questions here. Okay. If you could hear the thoughts of one living person for 10 minutes, who would it be and why? Be one living person. Yep. I think, and I've I've thought about this, and I always sort of change my answer. But I think as a whole, I think it would be Jim Morrison, living. Oh, living. Sorry, sorry, living. Um, Elvis Presley. <laughs> no, um, living. It's really funny. It was my joke was going to be. I thought you were going to say Tupac. Uh, same, you know, same kind of joke because there are those people out there for both both camps, but. Levin, um, oh, I don't know, Levin, um, probably, oh God, I don't know. There's so many people that you want to try, but probably for the wrong reasons. But um, who, who would yours be? It changes often uh, for me. Uh, I've heard some really good answers over the last couple of weeks. We've had uh, some some viewers who have given answers that uh, have really surprised me and been thought provoking. Um, but I think I don't know. I think for me um, it would it would be Joe Biden yeah. um, to either confirm my fears or to lay them to rest. I was going to say Trump for badness, but I didn't want to annoy anyone. No, no, no. And, and uh, for a long time, it was Trump for the same reasons. Hmm. 
you know, um, and for those, you know, who watch, they know I, I'm a political centrist. Um, I give uh, heat and praise to uh, both parties equally. Um, but Trump has gotten a lot more heat from me lately than than praise. Uh, and, and Biden, you know, I didn't vote for either. I was one of those guys. So knowing that uh, Biden's going to be taking uh, the seat, uh, I want to know how bad it really is, or are we, you know, blowing it out of proportion? Uh, well, yeah, it's it's funny because, I mean, going over to obviously how the you were saying about the news for the UK news in, in America, and obviously then we get the sort of snapshots of the important parts um, in the States. And obviously we've been watching all the um, the president uh, the presidential election. It's, it's it, yeah, it's we, as I said to you before in a phone call, we're quite sort of um, in awe, almost in a sort of a comical sense of uh, your whole president presidential campaign. And I think you we, we see your sort of current president situation the way you saw us and how we dealt with Brexit. It's right. that sort of same level of sort of comical. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a train wreck. But all you can do is watch and and you know chuckle and then cry a little bit and then laugh and then watch more more uh trains collide uh so but who would it, who would it be who is your your 10 minute sneak i'll be honest with you. talking to presidents i always was fascinated to see how um uh obama how, how he sort of was received uh and Obviously, his um, his sort of journey through the White House and and through um, places I wouldn't have necessarily voted for him. I, I, we were quite sort of um, taken by Obama in the UK and his sort of journey as president and how he dealt with it and and seeing basically on the news over the over the years how you saw him basically just looking older and grayer and and so I think that's a guy that I find quite fascinating. Him and his wife, I just think you know they they came across very well, regardless of of people's opinions of him in the UK, we sort of, uh, our perception of him was that he, he came across very well, was very, his speeches were, were quite sort of, you know, raised the hairs in your arms and he came across very eloquent and them. Um, so that's somebody I, I would, I would find interesting to sort of be in the shoes of for, for a while. Mm-hmm. No, that, you know, that that's been one of mine as well. I'm actually reading his uh, autobiography right now um, because, you know, uh, love or hate Obama, I think he has been one of the most, um, on the surface, mm. diplomatic uh, presidents the U.S. has had in many years. Yeah, um, see that way. Um, but, you know, not every politician is perfect. And um, I don't live in a blue or red box. No. And I feel like I'm fortunate in that way. I see a lot of people that are unable to take the blue or red lens out. Um, and, um, and you know, for me, and again, I don't want the show to ever be to get political and I hope I'm not offending anybody. Um, I want, you know, for our politicians to move closer to the center so that we can get things done because with this polarized stuff we've got going on, all we do is fight and nothing happens. 
um, like in in your parliament, you have three or four parties. Yeah, I mean, well, you've got obviously the main ones, obviously Conservative and Labour. They're the two main sort of strongholds of the party. And yep. then you, you've got other offices, but they're the, the two main ones. And obviously at the minute you've got Boris the Johnson. <laughs> now, can the two major parties kind of strong arm everybody else? Uh, yeah. Their numbers? Okay, so they can. Yeah. So they don't necessarily need any of those smaller guys to buy in to what they're trying to do or do they sometimes need to leverage the the smaller parties to win a particular vote? Oh, they do. I mean, obviously, look with um, with the last party election when obviously you had conservatives looking towards um, the is it the DUP, which is obviously the Northern Irish political party. Okay. And, um, so yeah, they, they do obviously need them to um, you know, bump up their numbers or to help with the votes, and um, definitely. But. Um, but yeah, it's always either a, a conservative or a, or a labor government. Yeah, but I wish that we had just that third party majority in in our political world uh, to keep some kind of balance, because um, it's just it's stalemate after stalemate, and it's frustrating. It is, and I think that you know. Over here, I mean, well, anywhere with, with politicians, it's it's never a straight answer. I mean, obviously now COVID has created this perfect um, cover smokescreen for um, Brexit and for the complete balls up that is Brexit. The fact that obviously we're leaving um, the EU and nobody knows. Obviously, I was speaking to good friends who uh, are working obviously in the cigar import industry and they're preparing for something that they don't know what they're preparing for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's insane. The, and obviously COVID, be it whatever your thoughts on it, has created this perfect, um, this uh, perfect smokescreen for um, a shambles, a complete shambles that politicians have been allowed to get away with. And I think that, and I not think, I hope that after this COVID's all said and done, I hope politicians are held responsible for, for this fiasco of Brexit because it's affected so many businesses and it is continuing to affect so many businesses that somebody needs to be held accountable for it. And whether that's Johnson, whether that's, you know, his party leaders, you know, whoever that is, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a shambles. It's an absolute shambles. And you obviously have in the States, you, you must just see this news and about Brexit and just think, what the hell are they doing? You know, what is going on over there? It's a complete, you know, shit show. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, like you're saying, with uh, COVID being a smokescreen for a lot of what you've got going on over there, likewise, um, uh, COVID is a huge smokescreen for a lot of things. So we haven't heard, I haven't seen any major news about Brexit in months and months. And Neither have we. Uh, I think... I, I think COVID has been, you know, a global smokescreen for a lot of things. Yeah. I'm saying it's not real. I'm, I've had it myself. I've mm. known people who have died from COVID. I know it is very real. Um, but I also know that uh, the world still needs to operate and we still yeah, need still to and, and we can. And um, so while it's a real thing, um, you know, uh, let's let's start to um i don't know man 
it's it's a weird time. It is a really weird time. It is, and it's. I mean, what's the last bit of news that you heard over there about Brexit? I'm going to say it was probably March. So as COVID was starting to happen, mm. the last thing I saw was, you know, um, Boris Johnson was looking like he was going to get sacked um, because of his stance on, on Brexit and, and then COVID hit. And so, then he got COVID and then his um, popularity went through the roof and people thought he's one of us and he's waving from the, from the hospital window and yep, people, people were just sort of a real sheep mentality with this and thought, Oh, you know, he's got it. He's a, he's one of us guys. And, and then they quickly realized again that he wasn't, that he was a complete ball bag. Excuse me. <laughs> 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 so, and that, and then, you know, and then the latest one, then he, um, he was telling us all to isolate and stay away. And then he had to isolate again because he didn't follow his own advice. And then every so often they'll leak out something or they'll sort of put out a little press release about Brexit, how it's moving forward. And nobody still has a clue what's going on. Um, all the while Theresa May sitting back laughing her head off saying it's not so easy now, is it posh boy? <laughs> you know, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a shambles. It's an absolute shambles. And it's, if it wasn't, so funny it would be tragic and it would be terrifying but it's just right so do you have uh you know so a lot of the people here in the in the u.s um we're saying you know after the election is over COVID is going to be done and of course those people didn't realize or really didn't think through the fact that COVID is actually a global pandemic yeah this isn't the only country that's using it as a political smokescreen no Uh, do you have uh, like people in the UK who who thought COVID was going to go away after a certain um, a certain period of time? Oh yeah, I mean everybody did. Everybody thought you know. I mean we uh, we were in um, traveling around Thailand when we sold the restaurant. We were traveling around Thailand around um, December, and obviously we started getting murmurings about you know this COVID and and um, what was happening, and we thought well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's over there. And then we traveled about a bit more and went into Europe and went around Rome and a few places. And they were starting to put in the the thermal detectors in the airports. And then you start realizing it's a bit closer to home. And then obviously they were talking about everybody was separating and, and trying to stay apart. And so, yeah, but people still were optimistic from the point of view, thinking that this won't last. It's not going to go on. And it should be done by the summer. And obviously then the summer came and went and, businesses went into their first lockdown and and that was just the organization behind it because you saw how unprepared people were for a global um virus if you want to call it that you know a global infection and yeah i think it it took a lot of people by surprise hospitals realized how underprepared they were politicians realized how much they didn't know about it and how much they didn't have the infrastructure to deal with it the fact that you were having these um large uh, makeshift hospitals built that some of them haven't even been used yet. You know, they just rushed into trying to, to put something together. And yeah, it's, but people thought, oh, it won't last long. And obviously now we're in what started December mm-hmm. and uh, we're now talking about it probably won't relax until Easter next year. 
So yeah, it's um, people have have flourished out of it, not just financially, but people have used it for for political reasons and political gain, and and have done very well out of it. And yeah. I suppose if you take the annoyance out of it, that's that's life. People will always benefit from one thing and another, be it bad or good. People will always find a way to benefit from it, from new businesses coming up, you know, or um, small online businesses flourishing more. So. Yeah, um, but the politicians have, have really, really sort of um, shown their true colours on it, and the, the useless ones have come forward, and the, you've seen the useless ones for what they are. So, yeah, and I hope you know that I, I think there's going to be a lot of silver linings after this is all said and done. I know a lot of corporations are looking at making certain positions, you know, uh, from home working is. And I think it's going to reshape a lot of how the world operates in a lot of different industries. And, you know, so I think there's some good that will come out of this for sure. Yeah. Uh, My hope is that there's a lot more silver linings with how we respond to certain, um, certain threats, be it, you know, viral or, or, you know, anything else. Um, But there's always going to be fighting. And like you said, there's always people that are making a buck on, uh, the plight of others, uh, which is yeah. a sad part of humanity, but it's it's the world we live in. It's the way the world works. But I mean, as you said, yeah, because I always like to try and see the positive side in it. You've got. Um, I also work part time at a local hospital, and they were completely underprepared, as were the NHS as a whole. Yep. And they um, obviously were relying on on small amounts of staff to deal with you know, uh, infections and, and, and cleans and things like that. And the hospitals were completely understaffed and undermanned. And obviously now then billions and billions got thrown at the NHS and gave them the lifeline and gave them the respect that they, they were due. And, and so that's good. You know, a light was shone on, on um, these government-led industries that needed support, and it was, um, but they weren't getting it. So, so yeah, it, it, has ha- it has helped. But... They've also taken their eye off the other um, side, which is, for example, obviously the hospitality industry, which is near and dear to my heart. That has been left, you know, completely drowning. And you've got businesses that have just, you know, maybe have just started, maybe have been established for a long time, and they've had to close down because they couldn't, um, they couldn't sustain um, any sort of, uh, or they weren't uh, weren't able to do takeaway services, for example, or maybe were just completely drink led. So the the hospitality industry has been completely shafted in the UK, and um, as well as uh, obviously um, uh, any sort of other industry like the, the acting, theatre, um, the arts industry. There's so many industries that have just been fallen by the wayside, and. Yeah, nobody's been held accountable for this, so it's yeah. I think it's going to be a while before the dust settles, and uh, you know we figure out and see who who helped and who hurt the situation, if ever. You know, we may never know. Um, What's it like in the in the states um, for um, the lockdown at the minute? It's state by state, mm-hmm. um, and in some states, it's even uh, county or city by city, depending on their rules. Um, you know, like our county kids are completely in distance learning. So they're all at home on laptops every day. And 
Um, I basically go from one child and strangle them for a little while to another child and strangle him for a little while and then go to my other child and strangle her. Um, so that's what uh, distance learning. And, and then there are some districts or counties that are in school. Um, all private schools in the state of Minnesota are exempt from the distance learning mandate and they can um, mm. have school in session. So it's state by state, city by city, mm -hmm. just depends. Um, I'm right on the border of Wisconsin. Uh, the Wisconsin restaurants are all open. So those who are on the east side of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul, go over the river uh, for a lot of restaurants. I drove to, um, I had to grab something from a store and saw, um, you know, a, um, a chain restaurant and the parking lot was slammed. So, you know, some places completely open, some places like um, our restaurants in Minnesota are takeout only. Okay. And have many businesses had to close permanently in your area? There have been a lot since, since we started. There's been a lot of, um, like there's this uh, restaurant called Little Tijuana's, or locally we called it Little T's. Mm. That was, I mean, that was the place you went to after the bar or, you know, late at night. They were open until five in the morning. And I think they were closed from uh, five to seven for cleanup and, and reset. But, you you know, you'd go there after the bar were closed, bars were closed and you'd get the greasiest, um, most disgusting meal. But it was the best thing ever. And it was just a pillar of, you know, nightlife for a lot of people in Swinsea. They closed permanently. They, they couldn't make it. Um, you know, and there's a handful of other, you know, iconic restaurants or businesses that, that had to close due to um, the lockdown. So mm -hmm. it has hurt small business immensely locally and nationally here, big mm -hmm. time, you know, and um, sad. And what's the, what's the feeling about what the government are doing for, um, for the hospitality business, do they feel that they're doing enough? Are the handouts enough, or are there sort of um, are there uh, emergency funds in place for them, like we over here? Yeah, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> um, but there was a PPP loan that businesses could apply for, and many of them got it. Uh, there's conditions on a lot of those loans you know, for if you were going to stay in business and paying your employees and some businesses, you know, were able to stay open and alive because of that. Um, some didn't qualify and, um, and either needed to close temporarily or permanently because of that. So there were funds available. There were loans, you know, no interest loans or even grants for some. So really depends on how organized certain companies were the big uh, chains for the most part, they all made it, you yeah. know, but, uh, the local small guys, it, it was a crapshoot if they were going to make it or not. And over here now we have a, a big drive towards, um, especially now supporting local business and, and, um, sort of promoting, um, people will, uh, 
do big shout outs about um, this Christmas we're only shopping local or we're only shopping small um, which is good but that unfortunately isn't a government backed or a government led uh, and that's something that you know I feel it should be is that you know there should be a, a, a big worldwide uh, well you, well your worldwide UK based um, drive to do that because you know the small business is the cornerstone they're the ones that pay 100% of their tax. They're the ones that obviously pay all the bills that they're meant to, and probably more so. Um, so yeah, but it's always led by the people, never never by the, the powers that be. Now, do you have Black Friday, like we have Black yeah. Friday? Yeah, we, we um, the Super Scar, we, we hummed and how, whether we were gonna do it or not. Um, but obviously, ultimately, we wanted to get our name out there, and so we did a, an offer on some of the, the, the non-alcoholic beers and, and um, register prices on full boxes. But I mean, the margins obviously on, on cigars are obviously are, are tiny, they're minuscule. But uh, we so well, we'll get our, our, ourselves out there. But it's not something I'm overly fond of because it's traditionally obviously a big corporate marketing strategy. And, and I know I sound quite cynical about this, but it's, it's hard for the smaller guys to compete obviously with the big boys. Um, so anything we do is, is sometimes more of a gesture compared to the bigger companies. But you don't want to see, be seen not to do it because if you don't do it, then you look like you're being cheap. And because obviously I get it, everything is price driven these days at 100%. And it's it's yep. it's tough to be able to to do that whilst obviously leveraging your costs. So it's, but we, we did it, yeah. And it, but it's a big thing over here, the, the Black Friday, the Cyber Monday. It's, I mean, if you Google Black Friday deals and people fighting outside the likes of um, Tesco's and Sainsbury's for these cheap TVs that are now reduced that have been sitting gathering dust in the warehouse. Yep. It's insane. It's it's an ugly side of, of society. But, you know, so normally on a, black, on a Black Friday, I avoid going outside like the plague. This last Black Friday, I needed to go and run some errands and, and get a couple things, and I was terrified. However... It was fine. Well, no. Yeah. Here uh, in Minnesota, anyway, it was absolutely fine. Um, I, I went to a couple different grocery stores and I went to a Target. Mm. And it, it was like almost like a normal day. What's Target? Um, is that like a, an electrical store? No, Target is a department store. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, um, like a Walmart. Okay. But better. Uh, less mullets. Uh, less butt cracks. Um, <laughs> I, first yeah. time I went into Walmart, I, I was blown away. I um, it was in uh, it was outside Hampton Beach, and uh, well, and I went in and I basically I had to go in and get some as you call them pants for I was working for this hotel at the time, and I had to go trousers. and get trousers. Yeah, I had to get some trousers, and they're like, like literally like cargo pants and they, they turned into shorts they were quite handy but I went in and I was looking I was shopping around and I went and uh, got some some clothes some tops and bits and pieces and then I went into the next aisle and it was just guns everywhere and obviously as a guy from Belfast you know you sort of think Jesus Christ this is this is something else here it's like going to Tesco's and you're getting your soup you're getting your noodles you're getting your meat and the next minute you pick up a shotgun, shotgun. yeah club card points so Walmart took away their guns for a little while and sure. then uh, recently brought them back. 
So uh, some of the stores that that took guns away are now starting to fill the stores again with with firearms. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because obviously I think it's it's such a a difference to us because obviously it's this complete gun ban obviously in the UK right. and obviously now you've even got shops that won't sell knives beyond I mean you can't carry a knife that's longer than three inches so you can't in the UK um, so for example I've got uh, you know a, a cigar knife you know the French cigar knife oh yeah, oh, yeah. which is phenomenal I haven't got it with me and yeah. I've got it in the house but um, that's three inches so you can carry that but anything else and any knife regardless of what length can't be can't be a lock knife and it can't be a you know a mechanism knife you know where it comes out of the handle you know like a switchblade yeah. so there's a lot of really tight laws in the uk around that when we're really fortunate in the u.s with our uh, second amendment yeah uh, in the constitution and as a hunter um you know something that's important to me i'm not as um you know uh from a hunting aspect, I am a, I'm a pretty large supporter of, you know, the second, second amendment and, and, uh, gun rights. And I've had my, my carry permit and, you know, support those who, you know, want to do responsible gun ownership. Mm. Uh, so, um, but you know, like anything else, people take shit too far. And, um, you know, it may be the death of us. I think we're just a couple more mass shootings away for, you know, from a, a gun ban. Um, I was going to ask that, but I didn't want to obviously um, sort of upset, pop, you know, upset obviously your audiences. But I was going to ask, like, you know, do you, do you see that? Do you envisage a, a gun ban? It would be a really, really hard fought battle to be honest and that's you know that was a big um you know part of joe biden's platform and also his you know running mate um are are pretty anti-gun um which does concern me i'll be honest um i i don't want to see a gun ban because of you know my my hunting background uh, it's less about my self-defense and it's more about way of life and, and yeah. hunting and, and all of that. But um, with each mass shooting, for me, it makes it more and more difficult to um, argue against it. You know, But you've got now, obviously, laws are put in place under, was it Obama, in terms of, was it swapping, uh, enabling rifles to be made, is it semi-automatic or automatic? Is that right? Yeah. So there's some. Uh, there was a, a couple different laws that there was a bump stock law um, mm-hmm. that were you know bump stock ban. There's um, also a lot of suppressant laws that went into place. I could give two shits to be honest about suppressing. Um, if if you want to suppress, you know, your gun, I see that as a toy, as a non necessary thing um, for a civilian. Mm. Um, I see that more as a militant or, you know, police, um, uh, you know, accessory, mm. but, um, I am all about, um, you know, keeping responsible gun ownership. For me, it starts with education. Um, yeah, of course it does. 
when I was a kid, uh, 12 years old, I went through an NRA course to Ooh. get my gun safety. Um, and the NRA no longer offers that course. Um, they went away with that course years and years ago. And they went into full-time lobbying for uh, Second Amendment rights, mm-hmm. which is sad because we lost out. Now, there's a lot of local um, uh, you know, gun clubs and things that, that do offer that course, but it's not advertised and it's not um, put out there like the NRA did you know, 20 plus years ago that really kept education for uh, responsible gun ownership mm. and not just for kids, but for adults. Um, it's got to start with education. That's, that's my biggest point with, with the whole gun thing. So. But, yeah, but the thing is, it's, I think that, as I said, I don't think any president really wants to tackle that um, because it's such a divisive subject. And, and like you said, obviously, from the hunting aspect, I think it's, I mean, I, we're jealous over here of the ability to go out and, and hunt and, and, um, and yeah, boxing was a big, big pastime for, you know, one of my UK buddies, um, you know, he, he and his um, family for generations uh, did uh, the big, you know, foxing uh, hunts. Uh, for I want to say his family was I mean it was hundreds of years of a tradition that was ended due to the the gun ban, and um, that's sad to see that go. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's um. I mean, just saw a comment there about the, the mental health laws. Um, Orlando put that up, which is absolutely true. Yeah, and that's something that I um with a sober cigar, wanted to uh, sort of focus on quite a bit, but the sort of, the stigma still is there about talking about mental health and um, people's perception of it and people's comfortable, uh, how comfortable they are with talking about mental health issues. But 100%, I am completely behind any sort of government-led mental health initiatives because be it over here, be it the US, I think until you start looking at people's, mental health and their well-being and their their state of mind ultimately i think you're going to have much more catastrophes happening obviously there was a something that read in the news yet was it in germany's happened about somebody driving through i don't know uh, uh driving through a crowd i don't know what if it was drink related terrorism related but all these things you know could be sort of not minimized well minimized a little bit and i think if if the government got on board a lot more and, and started looking at um mental health initiatives to to sort of look at the root problem. But yeah. Well and the you know one of the things so there's a um a gun show loophole that I feel needs to be uh, buttoned up. And I have a lot of friends who disagree and feel like you know everyone should have the ability to purchase a firearm. Mm. I'm not in that camp. Um, but there are some gun shows that do not require what's called an FFL, uh, federal mm-hmm. firearm license that gives them the right. And they have all the, the proper channels to do background checks and appropriately, appropriately um, register a firearm to an individual. Some mm-hmm. gun shows 
do not require their vendors to have an FFL. So Joe, whoever can go in and purchase a firearm from this person and um, no questions asked. Um, I think that's something that needs to be buttoned up. Mm. Um, so it's one of the things that I would advocate for. Um, you know, and there's people that say that, you know, some of the, the gun laws need to be, um, you know, lessened like with anything, you know, mm. there's, there's arguments on both sides, but, um, either way, you know, we've, we've got to come to some middle ground and again, that's a hard place to come to in, in today's, uh, political world. But your, your gun laws haven't been updated for a long time, have they, you know, properly? They change quite often, you know, state by state. Mm -hmm. Uh, federally, uh, there are very few laws that, that, um, uh, that affect, uh, gun laws. So gun laws by and large are state by state, like Texas, Mm. Um, you can, you don't have to have a permit to, to carry. Anybody can carry a weapon in Texas. I saw that I was in, um, uh, Houston and then I was at a concert, uh, I think it's called Clearwater in Texas. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was people just walking about, you know, with holsters and all it was. Yeah. In Texas, you could literally duct tape a AR rifle to your chest and walk around, um, wouldn't be very effective if you duct taped it there, (laughs) but, um, you know, so, you know, that's one extreme. And then there's other States who have a complete ban on, on, uh, carrying firearms. So it's state by state here. Okay. But let's, uh, so let's move it. We were, we were starting to do lightning round and then, and then we got off on a tangent, which is fine. I love love the conversation. But let's, uh, so you did uh, 10 minutes, you picked Obama. Yep. Next question is, if you were about to get into a fight, what soundtrack music would come on? Ooh. And is it in my head or is it playing out loud? Well, it, let's say it's a movie. Okay, we're watching a movie of your fight. Mm. Um, I'm a massive fan of 80s power ballads. You know, 80s power ballads, I think, you know, are, are phenomenal. Saying that, though, I also like the comic effect. So maybe Barbie Girl, just for the, just to put them off. <laughs> you know, like, everyone's squaring up. Everyone's really, really pissed off. There's everyone shouting and swearing and all. And we're just eyeballing each other. And then, come on, Barbie, let's go party. You know, and just get into it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that is awesome. The of surprise. They wouldn't see it coming. I love it. That is that is fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't know how you are with uh, uh how into sports you are, but we're gonna we're gonna give this one a go. You can uh, choose okay. one of the oh, really? fo- choose one of the following. You can hit a home run okay. as a starting pitcher in baseball. Mm-hmm. You can score a touchdown as a defensive lineman in American football, you can score a goal in hockey or soccer as the goalie. Ooh. um, I think 
because we see the romantic side of it, I think it would have to be baseball because I like the idea of just smacking it out of the park. And then I like whenever I see it on TV and they have, you know, they have their, I'm going to call it stick. What, what do you call it? Bat. Bat. Sorry, they're bat. And they have their bat and they're just, they're, they're going around the, the diamond and they're just pointing the, the, the bat at the crowd. And that's, that's where I feel like. I'd be good at that. I'd be good at pointing and just acknowledging people. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like, not that I've got a low self-esteem, but I feel that that's that's where I would thrive and and shine is is going around slowly, just pointing at people and just giving them you know that there. Yeah. Feel like, yeah. Do, do you get a chance to to watch much, or have you watched much American sports? I tried. I got into it whenever I was over there, um, but no sport. I mean, I was big into rugby, and then I think with one thing and another, I just sports has just completely taken a a, a back seat. So it's not something I really watch. I don't really watch much TV, to be honest, anymore. Now I've got a, a four-month-old child as well. I don't get to see anything. Sure. Even uh, even football? I don't don't like football. You don't like football? No, I don't. The, the first football match I ever went to see, I was I was a youngster, and it was Northern Ireland against Republic of Ireland, and it was in uh, a stadium in Belfast called Windsor Park. And they ended up making a play about it called One Night in the Stands with a comedian called Patrick Kilt. And the reason they made a, a program or a, a play about it is because it was so violent, like between the obviously the crowds. Obviously, you've got you know Northern Ireland, um, you know Protestant supporters, and not all Northern Ireland supporters are Protestant, but you the, the Protestant supporters fighting the Catholic supporters in the Republic of Ireland. And I was obviously just a kid watching this with my dad, thinking, "Christ, you know, I'd rather play rugby. It's less violent." You know, um, so I think it was that it was that point, and then obviously now as you go on and you see what the footballers are paid, I just think nobody's worth that sort of money. So I think it annoys me to the point that I just I don't watch it out of principle because ultimately I'm I'm jealous of their lifestyle. <laughs> How about hurling? Have you seen uh, hurling? I've seen it, but once again, I'm I'm the other side of the fence. So right. that's a, a Catholic sport. But I mean, hurling and Gaelic football, like it's a, a tough game fought by tough, tough boys. You know, it's a, it's a hard man's game. So yeah. I have a lot, of, a lot of respect for it. It's just not a game that I watch, but it's I have a lot of respect for it. Cricket, cricket. Yeah, I used to play cricket. Used to play cricket. Fast bowler. There's a there's a group of guys, uh, Indian guys, uh, that uh, have a cricket game. Uh, pick up cricket game here in the summer uh, near us. And um, I've gone with a neighbor a couple times and that is a fun game. It's yeah. a game. And I don't know why it doesn't get more popularity popularity here in the States. Um, but cricket, like a, the 2020 is a really good, like, especially if you like a good drink. Um, those are good things to go to because it's basically, it's a cricket match, but on speed. So it's done really, really quickly. And it's just, I can't remember how many innings there are, um, but um, but it, it's really good. It's a really fast paced, just, you know, basically th- th- there's no sort of safety plays. It's just as soon as the ball comes, okay. you're, you're twatting it as, as, as hard as you can and, and you've got to run. You know, the, These games would last five, six, seven hours. Yeah, no, 2020 is just in and out. I love that idea. Yeah. That would be fun. All right. If you were to bring back any fashion trend, what would it be? Right. Now, my wife will laugh at this, 
but I don't care. I'm all for it. Remember the grunge era? Mm-hmm. And I thought I, I, I used to picture, I used to have long hair, you know, and I thought it was just dead cool and all tied back and, and dyed it blue and all sorts. But I loved the, the checkered shirt with the checkered shirt tied around the waist, you know, pure grunge. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. Uh, sort of check on check, definitely 100%. Okay. Um, I was also, uh, I like the night, like the, the really early 90s. You know, if, if you look up sort of UK 90s, you know, where it was sort of baggy jeans and, and basically just looking like a bit of a dick. But but I, I like that. But but the grunge look, I think the grunge look was was, was my time. That was, uh, the, the yeah, the sort of the grunge look was my thing. Just the really unwashed looking, really dirty looking. All right. And uh, now we're going to talk about notable smokables. So each week we talk about one cigar that stood out maybe amongst all the rest. Typically, we're talking to a, a brand ambassador or a owner of a cigar company, and we ask them to you know, name a cigar outside of their portfolio if they can. But uh, for you, is there one cigar that you smoked this week that stood out among the rest? Can I say two? For sure. Certainly. Okay, so the first one, which is definitely um, this one and, and the other one are definitely the cigar of the year for me, 100%. So the Drew Estate, the Shady, I think is just phenomenal. I uh, I can't get enough of it. Um, so yeah, that's that's one. And the other one, I've got my little case, is from a company called Dapper Cigars. And it's the Pronounce the Desolito. These two, um, one hundred percent. Yeah, they're they would be my um, two cigars of the year, without a doubt. Just phenomenal. I use that word a lot, phenomenal. But yeah, they are. They're just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, There's a uh, so Juan Cancel from Protocol Cigars says phenomenal a lot. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's his word. Um, For me, it was the uh, Stolen Throne Crook and Crown. Uh, That cigar hit the market uh, early this year, and it was, you know, it exploded. Um, And I smoked one the other day. I hadn't smoked it in a couple months, and damn it, it is a good, good cigar. If you guys have uh, a chance to get Stolen Throne, anything by them is really good. But that Crook and Crown is just, it is fantastic. That's that's the issue with um, trying um, different uh, uh, cigar manufacturers um, that aren't sort of part of a bigger group because the paperwork to get into the UK is just so tough. And I think that's you know why you know us cigar heads or cigar fans, um, we find this so frustrating because there's so many amazing cigars out there that we just want to get our hands on, but there's so many people who you know from obviously the production side who I think they just struggle with the logistics of getting into the UK and then obviously the price point because I mean you're when you look at the a, a standard sort of price point that the cigars will be sold to the retailers for, I mean. We to make things feasible probably need at least another two dollars off that to be then able to justify all the bits and pieces that all the costs over here. Yeah. 
So it's, yeah, it's, and that's one thing I would love to do with a Super Cigar is, is um, find out how to bring a lot of these to the UK market because there's so many cigars that people over here need to try, um, not just including myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's frustrating, but but yeah, one hundred percent for sure. It's there's cigars that um, we'll be looking out for. Yeah, and you know we'll be sending each other cigars once we get this thing figured out about how to appropriately send each other cigars. Um, I hope to you know be able to open the channels more and more to the UK and and uh, get some cigars out out to you. All for that. All right. So closing remarks here. Uh, next week, we will be talking with Master Sensei himself, Eric Tormson from Cigar Dojo. Uh, got some exciting stuff to uh, talk about with him and a uh, new cigar that uh, they just launched. On December 15th, we're going to be talking to Danny Vasquez. And if you caught his show with uh, Bear the other night, it was a great show. Um, so we're excited to talk to him and the new relaunch of Voyage. Um, super excited about that. On the 22nd, we'll, we're going to, Matt and I are going to have our first annual HBTC year in review show where we will go through and talk about many of the cigars that uh, we've had and smoked over this year and highlights and lowlights. And um, that's going to be fun. On the 29th, we will reveal, reveal our pick for Cigars of the Year 2020. So um, please stay tuned. And one last uh, thing from you, John, is where's the best place for people to find out all the stuff from Sober Cigar and, uh, and your, tea, your tea business? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're Instagram is probably a really good place. So for the tea, it's um, just tea keepers, um, all one word, tea and keepers. And then for sober cigar, same thing, just search sober cigar, all one word. And then um, for the websites, it's the exact same. It's teakeepers.co.uk and then sober cigar, sobercigar.co.uk. Um, yeah, uh, we're looking at uh, introducing shipping for the tea into the US fairly soon. Cigars, that's still a, a political talking point, but we're, we're, we're trying to work that out. Um, we've got to see what happens with that. Um, but yeah, um, Instagram, we're, we're, we're really um, on into that at the minute. And the wife does some cracker pictures for the, uh, for the tea keepers. So if, yeah, if you'd follow us on that, we'd really appreciate it uh, on both. And yeah, give us a shout. And yeah. Look forward to So as soon as I get my package from John, I'm going to be posting some pictures and, and some pairing stuff with uh, cigars and tea. I'm going to be getting more and more into tea and, and pairing. So look forward to seeing some of that. John, thank you so much for coming on. You know, you and I have, have talked quite a bit over the last couple months. I've enjoyed the new friendship um, and looking forward to uh, continuing that and having you on. And hopefully we'll you know, help to get a bigger following for you in cigars and tea over the next year. Yeah, perfect. Thank you very much. And lovely, lovely talking to you as well. All right. For all our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for watching, listening uh, after the fact on our podcast. Be sure to check us out on all of the social media platforms, HBT Cigar um, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, if you have any questions for either Matt or I, you can 
get us directly on the website at howaboutthatcigar.com. Send us a question, comment. Love to hear from you guys. And until we see you next time, burn cigars, not bridges. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.